So if you weren't here last week, I'll kind of give you a, uh, an idea of what we're doing. We're going to be going through the book of Proverbs. Uh, the Wednesday night's going to be a little different than Sunday morning because it's not just going to be a message, but we're actually going to be going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we're starting in the book of Proverbs. And I was telling somebody this the other day, but Proverbs, you know, when the Lord started putting it on my heart to do this Wednesday night service, I started thinking and praying about which, which, where should I start? Which book should I start in? And the Lord brought me to Proverbs and I was like, man, this is going to be great. But if you've ever read Proverbs, you know how challenging this can be because one minute you can be reading a verse that's talking about money and the next minute, the next second you're reading another verse that's about a completely different subject that's talking about the immoral woman or wisdom or something right way off the wall. And so it's different than like is you're, if you're reading through Romans, you can read Romans chapter 6, and most of the chapter is going to be about the same thing. You can read the context of what's going on. Proverbs, you're over here, then you're over here, then you're over here, and so it's really different. But uh, if you were here last week, you got to kind of see how in the world was that. You got to kind of see how uh, the reason why the Lord put it on my heart is because Reading the book of Proverbs, it's a book starting in Proverbs 1 that says this book was given to teach people how to live disciplined and successful lives. And so last week we kind of laid a foundation talking about how Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. The Bible says that Solomon received divine wisdom from God and it caused Solomon to be the wisest man that ever lived, that he didn't have wisdom of this world. He had divine insight that came from God that allowed him to succeed in the business field. It allowed him to succeed in his leadership position. It allowed him to to succeed in in his business and his trade in every area of life. And that's actually what the Hebrew word for Proverbs means. It means to rule. It means to rule in life, in every area of life, in civil affairs, in religious affairs, in governmental affairs. And so... The reason that I feel like the Lord put it on my heart to read through Proverbs is it's literally a book given to us teaching us how to have success and to prosper in this life. And so we read through chapter 1, and tonight we're going to start in chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and get right into this, and I'm going to pray. Proverbs chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, if you don't, we'll have it on the screen for you guys. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Lord, I just thank you that you're going to speak to us tonight that you're going to sharpen us, that faith is going to come because the the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So I just release faith right now. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom that the book of Proverbs talks about. I thank you that every person in this room and every person watching online on Facebook is going to receive divine wisdom that comes from you. Lord, that you are different than this world. You made this world. That you've made this world and you've put us in this world and we've created systems. We've created things that, uh, systems how we think the world works, but most of the time, the way we think the world works is not actually how you designed it to work. And you have divine insight and keys and things that you will show us how to live above this fake system that we've created and experience true prosperity, true success. And have true fruit in our lives, Lord, and live above the system. And I just believe every person in this room is going to receive that as we go through this. We love you. I ask your spirit to move and speak. Your word is going to speak. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Proverbs 2, verse 1. If you got there, we're gonna, we'll go ahead and get started. Proverbs 2, 1. It says this, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. So we're going to go verse by verse, and I'm just going to stop with verse 1. My child, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. So I actually want to read it to you how the King James says it in verse 1. I love this. It says, my son, if, can you guys say if? This is a word that God has been showing me this year in several different things, in several different places, if. When you look at the word if, it's putting a responsibility on us. God is saying, my son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments within me. So the Lord automatically is taking responsibility off of him and saying, this responsibility now is on you. It's not a matter if I will do it, I will do it. It's a matter if you will receive what I'm giving you access to. It's a matter if you will take the steps that I'm asking you to take. Y'all, the reason I think that's so significant, because I've been here in my life, and I've seen a lot of other people be here, where we're just kind of standing back waiting for God, wondering, God, when are you going to do something? We're standing back, and, and maybe you're in need for something in your life, and you're just, you're just waiting for the Lord to do something, and we're putting that responsibility completely on God. But in a lot of cases, he's already made the provisions for it, and he's putting it on us, saying it's not a matter of if I will. Think about the person that came to Jesus to be healed. And they said, Lord, if you are willing. And he says, I am willing. It's not a matter if I want to, if I won't. It's a matter, will you have faith and receive it? Amen. So if it puts the responsibility back on us, I want to give you some more context. Deuteronomy 28 verse one. So this is what it says in Deuteronomy 28 one. The Lord said this to his people. He said, if you fully obey the Lord, your God and carefully keep his commands that I'm giving you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations of the world. Joshua one eight. Uh, it says this, study this book of instruction continually, meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. So I just want to tell you, again, the responsibility has been put back on us if we will do the things that the Lord has told us to do. Y'all I, I think that prosperity in life, success in life, is not a mystery. God has given us promises in his word. If you read through Deuteronomy, you read through Psalms 1, you read through Joshua chapter 1. You can read uh, in John chapter 15, Jesus talked about a tree bearing fruit. That it, God has given us provision saying, look, it's not a matter of will I bless you. There's some it's not that God will bless some people and he won't bless some people. He's saying... I have given you the keys, and your blessing is contingent upon if you will take these keys and do the things that I've told you to do and use them. Are you all still with me? So look at this. Verse 1, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments within you. So hide, I want you to think about this. Hide means to cover and protect. So the Lord says, if you will hide, if you will cover and protect my word, you know that you have to protect the word of God in your life. Mark chapter four, it talks about the parable of the sower. 
So it says that there's this farmer, and he's scattering seed. He's planting seed out in the field. And, and the Bible says that as the seed falls, some of it falls to the ground, and immediately it says the birds come down, and they try to eat the seed. And so then some other seed falls, and it falls into the thorns, and immediately the thorns tried to choke the seed out. And then some other uh, seed falls into the hard ground, and immediately the sun tries to dry the seed up. What the Bible is telling us is that when the word of God is sown, when God releases a word, there is going to be an immediate attack on that word. You know, the only thing that Satan can do is try to discourage you and deceive you, and, and God is constantly trying to speak to you, but that's the thing is that you have to hide and protect this word. Protect it like it it's the most valuable thing in the world to you. You know, when God puts something in your heart, you need to cover it. You need to protect it. And this is something that I've learned. Y'all, when God shares something with you, don't run out and share it with the first person you see. When God gives you a dream, look what Joseph did with his dreams. Joseph told his dreams to the wrong person, and what happened? They ended up being jealous and selling them into slavery. You know, we're just so often fast to just word vomit things out. I'm not telling you to share the gospel, but God has put in keys inside of you, and you just have to take care of those things, tend those things. And this is an, also, uh, uh, an important key as well. You have to be careful about letting certain influences into your life. Y'all, there's certain people that are negative, and, that's, and I'm not hating on those people. But there are certain people that you get so excited, God's speaking something to you, and you're all fired up and excited about it, and you run and share this thing to them, and they automatically start watering it with doubt, with unbelief. God can't do that. Let's just be realistic. You know, I remember I had some family members whenever I felt like God was calling me uh, into the ministry, and I had some family members pull me aside and say, John, you know, we just don't think you're cut from that cloth. We don't think you'll ever make it. How are you ever going to have a family? How are you ever going to take care of a child? How are you ever going to make a living doing that? And I'm telling you, you have to protect the word of God. We're going to get to this in a minute, but you guys understand this. Not every single person that's put in your path has been placed there by God. Satan will sow people in your path with the intention to come and steal, kill, and destroy the word and the seed that God has planted inside of you. You have to hide it. You have to protect it. Y'all, there's certain people that I love, but God has taught me this. You have to build a fence around your heart sometimes. And only certain people are allowed access to it. There, I will love every single person in this world, but I will not share the deep, and de the deep desires of my heart with every single person in this world. You know that so often Jesus would give parables to the public, to the thousands. He would speak to the thousands, but he wouldn't elaborate and go into greater detail until he was alone with the twelve. Why? You don't share every single thing with every person. There's reasons that I put a guard sometimes around my heart because I know, I already know there's certain people in my family, there's certain people in my path, and there's certain people you can identify with right now that if you just open it up, that the devil's going to use that person to just sow discord, to just discouragement, doubt, unbelief. When God gives you a word, you need to protect it. You know, again, I, there's a lot of naysayers that will just constantly, the devil will try to use to counter 
faith in your life. And that's how I act. I get around certain people and they say, John, you know, how's the church going? And I don't automatically open up and start casting my vision for the next 20 years, the next 10 years. I say, the church is going really good. And they're like, good. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Is it because I'm being mean? No, it's because you have to. You have to protect the word of God that God is sowing in your heart. Get around the right people. I want to encourage you with this. Get around people that will build faith into your life. Get around people that will build faith into that vision that God's given you, that will water that, that will stand behind that, that when you leave, man, you feel like you have more vision, not less vision. Get around those type of people. You have to protect the word. Can y'all say protect? So Mark 4 Mark 4.15, it says the seed that fell in the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once to take it away. Some of us need to realize this at once. The second that God starts speaking to you, the second that God starts releasing things into your life to bring change, to bring direction, to bring fruit, At once, Satan automatically has an assignment to steal, kill, and destroy that word and that seed that God's placed in your life. Y'all, and the only reason I'm telling you that is because some of the best strategy, if you think about playing a game of football, you know, it's not just making up plays, it's in trying to anticipate what the other side is going to do. And so if you can have it in your mind already knowing that Satan is immediately going to come to steal that word and try to, then you can anticipate the attack. That you'll start looking around and then all of a sudden when someone comes up to you and starts acting negative and you won't walk away offended saying, oh my gosh, how could they? You would understand, you know what, maybe they don't realize it. I'm not buying into it because I know immediately that was just Satan trying to get get into me and steal this seed away. And you don't buy into it. You just reject it and move on with your business. Amen? Expect the attack. Hide the word. Cherish it. Cover it. Protect it. If you will receive my words and hide my commandments within you. Verse 2. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Have y'all ever been in a room where there's a lot of noise going on and you're trying to focus in on something specific? Like you're in a room and, and uh, there's a TV blasting, there's a kid screaming, there's little toys going off left and right and somebody's trying to say something and, and you're trying to listen in, and it's like you're, 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 fo- you're tuning your ear in that direction to try to hear what they're saying. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Or you're in a diner. You're at Chili's. I know some of us guys sometimes can be guilty of this, but you're sitting down at Chili's or something to eat, and there's like a football game or something across the a restaurant on the screen, and then someone's talking to you, and before you know it, it's like you don't even hear that they're talking to you because your ear is tuned, you're focused in on what's happening on that screen, and it's like, You're blocking out everything else. This is what the Bible says to do. Tune your ear to wisdom and concentrate on on understanding. So we're going to look at this, but the Bible is talking to us about pursuing God, pursuing the wisdom of God. 
being hungry for the things of God, being hungry for the Word of God, being hungry for everything that God wants to give us, everything that God wants to do through us. And it gives us this key and says, in order to obtain it, look, you have to tune your ear to it. That means you have to pinpoint focus it. That means that in life, I understand you got a job, you have things that are going on constantly that could be distracting, that can seem like you're just pulled in 50 different directions, but in order to receive the wisdom from God, it says, tune your ear. It's like in life with all this chaos, you see that God is, he, this is what he's speaking, and you just push every other thing. You let it blur out, you let it quiet out, and you just focus your attention on one thing, receiving the wisdom of God. It says, concentrate on understanding. I think that this is where I've seen a lot of, of Christians go wrong. Last week we talked about Proverbs 1, and, it's, and it talked about in Proverbs 1 that the Proverbs were parables. They were written in riddles. They were written in layers. And so the, it says that the one who seeks out the knowledge of God is what it talks about. And we kind of discussed last week that when you read the Word of God, the Word of God is not something that you can just skim over really quick and get everything God wants you to get out of it. I can't just open up the verse of the day on the Bible app and take three and a half seconds to read it and think I got my fill for that day. You have to concentrate, it says. Tune your ear and concentrate on understanding. Can I tell you guys, it takes effort. If you're wanting your walk with God to go to the next level, that means think about, you know, I know like last night we were in a, a Zoom meeting. We have some cool things happening. Hopefully we'll share with you guys soon. We were in a Zoom meeting, and they were doing all these little PowerPoints and stuff with us, and uh, I'm sitting there trying to, to uh, prepare for this. And I'm listening to Proverbs chapter 2. I'm just trying to read it. And I have an earbud in. And I'm trying to like halfway engage in what they're saying on the screen. And halfway listen to this. Eventually I had to take the earbud out. Because I just realized like I wasn't getting both things. I was not able to listen in my ear. And also listen to what the person was saying to me. And so that's what the Bible is talking about. It's getting to a point where you're saying. Okay I'm pushing everything else away. It's like I'm sitting down at my table. This has my undivided attention. Concentration. I'm going to concentrate. I'm not going to be, you know, and I know how easy it is, too, when you're reading the Word of God sometimes, and you're like, man, I need to read the Word in the morning, but I know I got a laundry list of things that I got to do today. And so you start reading, and it's like you're not even retaining because you're, you're thinking about all these other things that you, have, that you have to do. The way that you're going to receive the revelations, the wisdom, the, the nuggets that God wants to instill inside of you is pushing that down, making intentional effort and concentrating, saying, I'm pushing everything else out of my mind right now, and I'm going to concentrate on what this word is saying. That's the only way that you get the wisdom and knowledge of God. It takes effort. It takes effort. You can't fly through it. You can't. And if, if that's all you can do, I know you got to start somewhere. Some of y'all that you're not used to reading the word, maybe you can't jump in and read five chapters at once, you know. But start somewhere. Sit down and say, even if it takes me 30 minutes, even if I, you know, because I, 
I know people will say, I read a chapter and I just feel like I didn't understand what it was saying. Seek it out a little bit. Do y'all know that there's hundreds of translations of the Bible? There's not just the King James Version. There's not just the New King James. There's not just the Amplified. And I, I know that some of them can get a little weird, but what I'm trying to say is there's, there's a New Living, there's the Passion Translation, there's the NIV, there's the Message. There's different versions that you could read that could help you. If you're having a hard time understanding, maybe you could read that as an extra, and it would actually help you understand what you're reading. But that's what I'm trying to say is you can't just open it and say, oh, I don't get it. Sorry. You have to make intentional effort and say, no, it's so important that I get this. If I got to if I got to spend 20 or 30 bucks at Walmart and have three books laying on the table so that if I can read one, I'm not getting it, then I can flip over and look at what it says in another. I'm going to do that because it takes effort, concentration, tune your ear, it says. Verse 3, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Here's a key a key to receiving from the Lord. I'm going to read this John 7, 37 through 38. It says, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When I read that word cry, the first word that comes to my mind is desperate. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. The person that Proverbs 2 is talking about is not a person, again, that's just casually, fat, just, I'm just passing through life, I'm just trying to do my checklist. It, cry out for understanding. That's a person that's desperate. That's a person that's saying, Lord, speak. I need you to speak to me. I need you. I need you to give me wisdom. I need you to give me direction. I need you to give me some answers. Crying out. And this is what it says in John 7. Jesus said, anyone who is thirsty, come and you will receive. I'll give you something to drink. Y'all, but here's the main thing. There's only one thing. You can, you can be the worst sinner in the world. And God will still meet with you if you it will still meet you, touch you, transform your life, take you as you are, but there's only one requirement. You have to be thirsty. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for those that think they're healthy. I came for those who know they need a doctor. I came for those that are at their end. They're saying, I'm at the bottom of the bottle. I need you, God. Because when you get to that point, when you get desperate, then God says, okay, now we can put all the, the games aside. Now you're desperate. Now, here we go. Amen? The only requirements being thirsty. So many people wonder, why is my life dry? Why am I just feel like, why did it seem like three months ago I was receiving so much from the Lord and it was just like, boom, grow, growing, 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 growing. Check yourself and say, maybe have I got to a point where I've just started getting a little distracted and maybe I'm not thirsty. Maybe I'm not really thirsty. Because Jesus promised, if you're thirsty, you will get a drink. If you're thirsty, you will get the river, which is the Holy Spirit. But y'all, again, unfortunately, 
It doesn't have to be this way, but most of the time, this is why it seems like it takes somebody hitting rock bottom before stuff changes in their life. Because it takes them getting to that point before they really get desperate. Before they really get a heart saying, Lord, I, 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 I'm done. I, Jesus, I want to receive you. You are the way. You are the truth. It takes you getting to a point where you have to realize that your way doesn't work. And so you need the way. You need his way. But I'm going to tell you, I want to encourage you tonight. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to wait until your life falls apart to get thirsty. Look at this. David said in Psalms 42.1, As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. You know, David wrote these Psalms as a king. A lot of these Psalms that, that we read, he wasn't writing as a poor shepherd boy. He was writing as the king of Israel. A king sitting in a palace with armies at his disposal with treasuries at his disposal, with servants at his disposal. Yet David said, as a deer pants for water. Think of a deer. It's hot. He's like, it's just desperate. I am so thirsty. He says, so my soul thirsts for you. David knew the key to maintaining his kingship. David knew the key to being a man that the Bible would say, David was a man after the Lord's own heart. Why would the Bible give David that title even though he committed a horrible sin? He slept with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, had her husband killed, tried to cover it up. That's pretty bad. Yet he still went down in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. Why? Because David was thirsty. David was always, you know, David made a mistake, but David repented and he learned even in his kingship, even while he was on the throne, even when he had luxury in the blessing. And I mean, I'm talking about at a level that none of us in this room even have ever experienced. He said that this is the key to life as a deer pants for water. My soul, Lord, thirsts for you. You know why fasting is good? People, I've heard so many people try to teach on fasting. Why do we fast? Well, in the New Testament, you're not supposed to, you know, I mean, just so dumb. We get into these theological things. I'm going to tell you right now, it's really good to let yourself get hungry. What, what does fasting do? It gets you hungry. What does fasting do? It gets you thirsty. Sometimes in my life, I'll get going and I'll get going and I'll start seeing little things I don't like. And I say, man, I start feeling a little dry and I say, man, maybe I need to fast. Why? Because maybe I need to teach myself how to get thirsty. Maybe I need to teach myself how to get hungry because I need to get, I need to get into the river of living water. And the only way I'm going to get in is by thirsting. Amen. Verse four, it says, verse four. Search for them as you would silver. Seek for them like hidden treasures. I don't want to throw that. I might need that again. I do that. I'll be like, oh, it was on the first page. And if it's behind me, that won't be good. Search for them as you would silver. Seek for them like hidden treasure. This is talking about the wisdom of God. This is, again, talking about somebody that's saying, I want God's wisdom. I want him to speak to me. I want the things of the God. I want the things of the kingdom. I want Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit. 
I want the anointing of God. It says, search for them as you would silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Have y'all ever heard anything about the, the gold rush in the 1800s? When people were going to California and the mountains and stuff seeking after gold? You ever read some of those stories? Men taking their families. No heaters. No cars. No, no equipment, no anything. Taking their small children and their wives and their families on wagons up into the mountains, freezing to death, starving to death, subjecting themselves to, look, they didn't have medicines back then. They, they had Native Americans that were killing people. I mean, they had different things, bandits, putting their family completely in harm's way. Why? Because they were after silver and gold. They were on a treasure hunt. I am will that like they were willing to go to the ends of the earth to find the gold that was out there. Willing to take their family saying, look, you know, this is the key to my family. This is the key to our life. This is the key to us making it. So if that means that we need to just take a chance and go out here and subject ourselves to these things, then that means that's what we're going to do. Because if we can obtain this, then we can obtain life. That's, the, that's what happened in the 1800s. People flooded from all over the world. People flooded from all over the country. Went to crazy extremes seeking after silver and gold. Verse 4 again. About the things of God. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek after them like hidden treasures. Y'all, what if somebody came up to you and said, Hey, we're doing a sweepstakes. Every single person that uh, we're going to put a treasure hunt in Lufkin, and we're going to pick 100 people. 100 people can solve this treasure hunt, and if you solve it, you get a million dollars. All you have to do is show up, get the treasure map, and find the little clues, and the first 100 people that get to the end get a million dollars. How many people you think? They'd be taking off work. Well, their kids, hey, mom and dad, we got, we got soccer practice tonight. I don't care if you got soccer practice tonight. Tell your coach, you're not going to soccer practice tonight. We got something we got to do tonight. We need all hands on deck. You, you know what I'm saying? But the Bible says search. Pursue after the things of God like you would silver, like you would gold, like you believe in your heart that it is a treasure worth finding, that it is actually the key to the things that you're facing in life. Why do we get so casual in our faith? I don't know if it's us just getting distracted or people don't really believe that this is the key to every problem that they're facing. This is the key. Getting the Spirit of God, the wisdom of God, the revelation of God, getting on the path of God, the anointing of God, that is the key to my family prospering in this life. That is the key to my children's future, my grandchildren's future, my grandchildren's children's future. This is a key that will, will surpass this generation and go for, for three generations down the line. This is the key. People don't really believe that. But the Bible says that it is. Search for it like you would silver or gold. You know, again, I think that, that we look... We just pursue after things, never digging into to things in this life. We'll let everything stop us. Well, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm glad I, I wrote this before it started raining today, but I was going to say, you know, we'll let the silliest things 
Oh, I didn't go to church today. Why? It was raining outside. You know, I just didn't want to get out. Like, we let the silliest things stop us from, from that pursuit of the kingdom of God saying, I am going to do everything that I can to get me, to get my family, to get us to this place, to obtain this, because this is the key. What if, think about everything you struggle with in life, everything you worry about in life. I mean, living in the reality that the answer, I'm an answers type of guy. I like black and white, ABC, this is what you do, this is what you get, this is what it is. I mean, what if I truly believe that every single answer that I had, not just ethereal, not just philosophical, God's saying, I'm going to give you the instruction manuals of like putting an Ikea desk together, and if you put the desk together, it's a $5 billion desk, like, and this is the instruction manual, how to assemble it. I mean, what if I pursued the Word of God in that way? I'm digging into the Word. I mean, it wouldn't be some responsibility that I had to read the Word. Oh, I should read the Word. I'm a crit- It's the key to life. It's the key to the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding of God. Divine wisdom. You know, the thing that the Lord, again, has shown me, even in giving, is the way that the world works is not the way that we think it works. God created this world, and He knows how it works. He knows how to get things to come your way. He knows how to get things away from you that need to be away from you. He knows how to get things in your possession. He knows how to take you where you need to go to tell you what to do, the things that you need to do on this earth. He knows all of those things. And it's just so crazy to me to think for a second that this system, just because the CDC says something, just because CNN says something, that that's how life is supposed to be. be. I am talking about the one who literally spoke the stars and the sun and the universe and the ground that I'm standing on into existence. And he's saying, trust me, John, I know what I'm talking about. When I tell you to do something, I know what I'm talking about. You can take it to the bank. Everything that God says, a guarantee. It works for every person. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek for them like you would hidden treasures. I want to read you Matthew 6, 33. This is the most amazing thing. This is what God said. I want you to think about that pursuit of silver. So what God is saying in that, in that verse in Proverbs 2, 4, take the energy that you would take pursuing the things of this life and put that energy in pursuing the kingdom of God. I know people that have sacrificed 15 years of their children's lives to get a promotion. I know people that have sacrificed years and time and, and you know time with their family, certain things that God's told them to do, that they just stay glued to this one thing because they're after this world. And they're not bad things that, you're, that people are after. I'm not condemning anybody. It's good intentions. They're not like wanting to run a drug empire. They're wanting to take care of their family really well. They're wanting to make sure that their children can go to any college they want to go to. They're wanting to make sure that, they're, that they have a nice house and a nice place. Those are desirable, good things. But this is what we do. The devil makes us think that these are the steps to get there. And it's never, it's never true. It's so deceptive. It's a lie. It's a facade. 
It's not even real. What's so amazing is what the Bible says in Matthew 6, God gives us a promise that says, take all the energy. Take everything that you would trying to achieve that thing and put it into my kingdom. Put it into gathering with the saints. Take your resources. Y'all, and I know this is a touchy subject for some people, but take those resources that you are storing up that you think you're trying to make away for yourself. Put them in the kingdom of God behind the gospel. And he says, and all these things, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you all these things. Another translation says, all these things will be added unto you. All the things that, that the rest of the world spends their entire lives chasing after. Y'all, have you ever looked at some of the most powerful men of God on this planet? Have you seen the houses that they live in? They're not living in like section, what, eight? Is that what it is? Section eight housing apartment district. Like, they're not, I mean, they ain't struggling. Why? And you hear the testimonies. I was listening to a guy today. He was a preacher, and he was like, you know, people hate on him because he wears this Rolex that's like $15,000. And they'll look at him and say, look, you take the money from the church, and you know, from the ministry, and you're buying stuff like that. And he said, actually, this was given to me. He said, actually, this suit that I'm wearing right now that's like a $10,000 suit, this was given to me. Actually, all these things that people will spend their whole life trying to get, trying to go in this direction, it says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all of those things will be added unto you. That lifestyle that you want I, want, I want to give you permission tonight. God wants you to have it too. God wants you to have that a house that your family can grow up in. God, that, that, that's the biggest root. When you understand John 10.10 10, that Jesus actually meant, I have came that you might have a rich and satisfying life. Not in heaven, on earth. A rich and satisfying life. And you understand, again, God wants you to be able to send your kids to college, send your grandkids to college. I would love nothing more than when my daughter turns 18, 19 years old, I could just buy her a house and give her all these things as a head start. Say, here you, like all these things that everybody else spends 30 years trying to do, here you go. Go for the kingdom of God. Nothing holding you back. I mean, that's what I want. God wants the same things, and he'll do it. But we have to trust him. His ways are not like our human ways. When he says certain things, we got to trust that is the steps. That is the process. God knows how this world works way better than we could ever think or imagine how this world works. You know, even, I don't know why I just feel led to keep talking about this, but even giving. You know, God never asks you to give so that you can go without God wants to put something in your possession, but the thing is, it's always an exchange. Something has to leave your hand and go into God's hand for it to multiply. Everything Jesus put his hand on multiplied in the Bible. Think of the fish. Think of the bread. You know, it says Jesus took it in his hands, and he multiplied it, and then he gave it back to the disciples. So, so often, even something God's asking you to give Y'all, I've given all kinds, I'm not just talking about money, I've given all kinds of things away. I've given clothes away, I've given 
I give a lot of money away too, but I mean, I give all kinds of things away. Why? Because every time God is asking me to release that thing because he knows a thing that he's trying to bring into my life, and that's actually the key in the step. That needs to go so this thing can come. Right? The way that we think is never. Well, I'll say that until you start, like Romans chapter 12. It says, don't, don't copy the patterns of this world. Let me just read it to you real quick. If the Lord put it on me, then it's obviously more important than what I think. So, Romans 12.1. This Bible, I just got it. It's so small. So, it's not that I don't know where I'm going. It's that I, like, move two pages and I'm three books further than I'm trying to be. <laughs> sure. Romans 12.1. I'm sorry, 12.2. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world. Don't, again, the way the world says to do life, the way the world says think, the way the world says this is how it works, get with it. Don't, cop, don't think like that. Stop thinking like that. Do not copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How does he transform you? By changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What does God want to do in your life? He wants you to be able to see the world like he sees the world. You know, Kenneth Copeland, I love him. I was listening to him, and he was talking about how God started showing him. You know, he's a minister that his ministry gave $50 million away last year to the poor. Crazy. And he started talking about how did he get from where he started to where he's at. And he said because God started showing him how he sees finances. God's not a slave. God doesn't go to Taco Bell with five people and then say, oh, I hope that they don't think I'm paying for You know, God doesn't think like he's not a slave like we're a slave. God's like, the little things that we get so wrapped in are nothing to him. And he said, everything started changing when I started seeing the world like God saw the world. When I started seeing things like God said, starts like, like God sees things. Let God transform you into a new creation by changing the way that you think. It says this for verse 5 of Proverbs 2. Then... So search for them. We're talking about the wisdom. Seek after it like you would silver and hidden treasures. Verse 5, then. Can y'all say then? You will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. You will gain the knowledge of God. So the Bible's saying, if you, if you look back at what we read, if you, hide, if you receive the word, you hide the word, you protect the word, you concentrate on the word. You tune your ear into the word. You thirst after the word. You, you, you treasure it. You hide it in your heart. You pursue it like you would silver or gold. It says when you get to that level, you're desperate for the word of God. You are just pursuing this thing. It says that is the beginning. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. And when you understand what it means to fear the Lord, you will gain the knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? Basically, it is seeing the world how God sees the world. Not the knowledge of men. 
You see things how God sees them. So here's the question. I want to look at this again. What is the fear of the Lord? Proverbs 8, 13. It says this, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption, and, ver and perverse speech. Proverbs 1, 7. We read this last week. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge. So what does the Bible say? Fearing God. If you want to just sum it up into this little thing, it causes you to hate sin and evil. And then in Proverbs 1, it says this is actually the beginning. This is the foundation to receiving the wisdom of God. So this, to put it all together for you to understand, if you want to see how the world, how God sees the world, you have to start with hating sin and hating evil. You have to get to a point like Romans talks about crucifying your flesh that you die to that thing and you hate, you're not trying to play games with the devil and just live your life to satisfy the flesh and satisfy these things. If you want to see the world, how God sees the world, you have to start with this foundation, hating sin and hating evil. That is the foundation, it says. You know, there's a difference. This is something the Lord showed me today. There's a difference between just not participating in sin and hating sin. I, somebody cannot participate in it. Why? Because they're trying to walk the straight line and they know they shouldn't do it, so they don't do it. I shouldn't do that, so I'm not going to, and so I'm going to keep away from those things. I'm not saying that's bad, but the, the Bible, but deep down inside of you, you're still struggling. Like, I, it's not that I don't want to. It's, I, I know that I shouldn't, so I'm not going to. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Hating evil. Hating it. When you look at sexual immorality and you look at lusting after another person, and now it's not just, I know I shouldn't do that, but you actually see a man, you see a woman, you see a covenant, the way that God sees it, and you see how the devil has twisted it and made it into this sick, perverted thing that our culture has created. You hate that thing. Now it's not, I'm not participating in it because I shouldn't. I see it the way God sees it, and it has caused me to hate the thing that it has become. Y'all see that? And it all begins with the fear of the Lord. And then we will gain the knowledge of God when we begin to see things like God sees it. So I wrote these down. If you want to take notes on this. Benefits of the fear of the Lord. Benefits of the fear of the Lord. What happens in your life when you begin to see things like God sees them? What happens in your life when you begin to, through seeing things the way that God sees them, hate sin, hate the work of Satan, hate the perversion that he's brought into this world in every form? What, what does it produce in your life when you begin to walk in that? Verse 6, it says, For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Can you say divine wisdom? Divine wisdom. If you're watching online, I want you to write. I keep looking in that corner, but we move the camera. If you're watching online, I want you to write this in the comments. Put divine wisdom. Proverbs 2, verse 6, divine wisdom. So somebody that, again, they're pursuing after God with everything that they have. They're thirsting. They're hiding the word. They're receiving it. They're, 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 they're 
pursuing it like they would silver, like they would gold, and all of a sudden they find God. All of a sudden they start seeing things like God sees them. All of a sudden they start to walk in the fear of the Lord. And now they have this access in their life, divine wisdom. And again, to give you an insight about what we talked about this last week, what is divine wisdom? And it, it's basically similar to what I've been telling you about, but it's, it's, it's not wisdom that comes from this world. It's wisdom that comes from God. It's not wisdom that you can get going to college and reading a, 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 a philosophy textbook, reading a theology textbook, reading, listening to some professor talk. It's, it's divine wisdom that comes from heaven, that comes from above. As God sits above and he sees everything from the past, from the present, from the future. He's in the beginning, and he's simultaneously at the end. He's, he's already, he's above all of those things. He sees things that you don't see. Divine wisdom as you start operating outside of what's happening right now, and you see insight from above. God starts allowing you to see things from that perspective. And this is what it produced. When you gain divine wisdom from God, this is what Solomon said uh, in Proverbs chapter 1. It was as we went over last week. Solomon made this offering to God, and God showed up to Solomon in this dream and said, Solomon, you can have whatever you want. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was blown away. He said, wait, you didn't ask for wealth. You didn't ask for success over your enemies. You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for, for fame and fortune. You didn't ask for any of those things. Instead, you asked for wisdom. And then if you continue to read Solomon's account, it says, when Solomon acquired wisdom, the Lord gave him wealth. The Lord gave him long life. The Lord gave him victory over his enemies. The Lord gave him fame upon the earth. The Lord gave him all those other things because Solomon had insight. He said, Lord, if I ask for wealth, what good of it? What good would it be to have all the money in the world but to be sick in bed and die at the age of 45? What good, of, what good would it be to live to the age of 120 but to live broke and poor and my family struggling their entire lives, never being able to feed my kids? What good would that be? So instead of asking for these specific things, Solomon understood, wait, I can ask for an apple or I can ask for the tree. And if I ask for the tree, I get the apple. And that's what Proverbs 1 talks about. Wisdom, it's so much better than silver or gold. You should pursue after wisdom. Why? Because if you pursue after silver and gold, you may get silver and gold, but you're going to lack in all these other areas. If you pursue after wisdom, when you get the wisdom of God... It will produce wealth in your life. It will produce long life. It will protect you. It will cause you to succeed. It will cause you to walk in victory over your enemies. It's divine wisdom from God. Divine insight. It basically just means God allows you to start seeing things from a greater perspective. Even through the Holy Spirit. You know, this is how the Spirit works, through discernment. Sometimes you may not even get it in your mind, but the Spirit, you get in a situation, and the Spirit tells, sends you a check and says, hey, something's not right here. And so you listen to the Spirit, and you just, you know, you walk accordingly to how He's leading in that situation. And that's divine wisdom from God. 
That's God seeing something that you can't even see and then you following his direction that he's pointing in. So number two, seven through eight. I love this. These are under benefits of the fear of the Lord. Verse 7 through verse 8. It says, He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just. He protects those who are faithful to Him. Number two, can y'all say divine protection? Walking in the fear of the Lord will produce divine protection in your life. God will guard and protect you in your life. Not only will God guard and protect you from like your enemies coming against you, but God will preserve the calling that he has placed on your life. Look at some examples. Look at Noah. Noah walked in this. God shielded Noah. God protected Noah. God did that. Why? Because Noah was a man that feared the Lord. He was a righteous man. And so when the whole earth had sinned and God was bringing this judgment upon the earth, Noah did not have to suffer like all the rest of the world did. God gave him wisdom. God told him, build an ark. Why would I build an ark, God? It's going to rain. What do you mean? It's, what's rain, God? It had never rained in the Bible up to that point. What do you, it, water's going to fall? For, what are you talking about? Rain. That doesn't make any sense. God says, I know, Noah, trust me. This divine wisdom from God, even when Noah didn't understand, preserved his life, preserved his family, and kept him from something that happened to every other person. It will produce protection. Look at Lot. Same thing. You know, he goes into Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of his relationship with Abraham, Abraham was a righteous man. Lot was a righteous man, even though he was where he shouldn't have been. And if it wasn't for Abraham, he would have died there. Uh, but God rescued Lot from the, God took him out. God led him, sent angels to come and direct him out of the city and rescued him from the judgment that fell on that city. Y'all, when God, when the Bible says that the Lord will shield you, the Lord will protect you, the Lord will keep you. It says things like that. And then people just try to put it in some spiritual context. Well, you may die with cancer, but the Lord will, he'll, he'll shield you in the spirit. What? Where is that in the Bible? If that's what God, how God wanted us to think, he gave us some pretty horrible examples in the Bible to go by. Look at Joseph. God will not only protect you from the enemy killing you, but he will protect the call that God has on your life. And now every single time that the enemy just starts throwing stuff at you, think, well, this will get him. Well, this will get him. Well, this will get him. God and his master plan will use every single thing that the devil tried to throw at him to tear him down and use it to prosper, to, to shape, to mold, to take Joseph to the next level and walk in prosperity and victory in his life. The enemy is like, look, let's sell Joseph into slavery. Man, God used that, protected him, and all of a sudden now he's a slave uh, for Potiphar. And then God uses that to put him in prison, and then he goes into prison, and God's hand, his favor is still upon his life. So now he starts ruling the prison. Now he starts being the manager, the head guy at the prison. And then he interprets a dream, and now he's ruling over all of Egypt, and God used every single step. His hand was on Joseph's life. It's like every single thing that the devil tried to throw at him, 
God was just like, just kidding, you know, like literally used what the devil meant for bad, used it for good. The devil probably got to the end of Joseph's life and was like laying on the ground crying because he's like, I literally, I made this happen. How did this happen? I literally caused all these things on this guy's life. And the whole time I was just like eating from the palm of God's hand. And he was using the things that I thought were bad to prosper this guy and take him exactly where he needed to be. God will protect and shield your life and the calling that he has on your life. Look at David. As Saul was trying to to chase him down and kill him. Look at Peter, Acts chapter 12. Peter's thrown in prison. Did he stay in prison? People always say stuff like, well, Paul was in prison and Peter was in prison. Yeah, Paul was in prison, but he was also given like a private house. All his needs were met. He was allowed to have visitors come and go whenever he wanted. It says while he was in Rome that they stopped persecuting him and let him preach the gospel freely. Just like the devil put him up in a penthouse and paid him to be there and and allowed him to do the work of the Lord without any interference. Even Peter in prison. When did Peter spend six years in prison? Peter was in there for a couple hours and an angel woke him up and touched the gate and the gates just, oh, there's a, there's a gate. Boom, touches it, walks through it. There's another gate. Boom, touches it, walks through it. God will protect your life. When you walk in covenant with God, he will protect your life. Amen. We read through Psalms 91 all the time. I encourage you. I'm going to keep moving on. I was going to read it, but I want to encourage you. Read through Psalms 91. If you've been here at this church, you've heard me read it a thousand times. Read it a thousand more times. I was talking to Jonathan Shuttlesworth, and he said, you know, the second that your church starts feeling like, oh, my gosh, is he really going to say the same thing again? He said, that's the point that they're finally starting to get what you're saying. I was like, good, because I think that I've been there a few times. Psalms 91. It's like standing under an umbrella, though. This is the thing. You know, actually, I might just pull a little piece out of it real quick. Because it goes along with what we just read in the beginning. Psalms 91 says, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Don't be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor the arrows that fly by the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Though a thousand fall at your side and ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. Y'all take that right there. You know, there's so many judgments. When me and my wife, a long time ago, a while back, we struggled with miscarriages. And there's always that seed that tries to come in to say, well, maybe it's just God's will. Maybe... God's protect. Maybe God's doing something we just don't see. But I began to read through the blessings and the curses that God said when he would bless his people in the Bible. 
And then when he would put curses on people in the Bible, every single place that I read a curse, infertility was a part of the curse. And every single time that I read the blessings again and again and again, it was many children, many livestock, prosperity. And so I didn't say, maybe this is God. No, look and see, this is the, how the wicked are punished. The Bible says I am not wicked. It says I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That means this isn't God's will. This is a judgment that falls on wicked people, and I'm the righteousness of God. No plague will come near your home. If Okay, verse 9, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you, and no plague will come near your home. It's if. We said if puts a responsibility on us. God has given us the umbrella. All we have to do, he says, you can live in protection from all these things if you stand under the umbrella. But the second that you step out from the umbrella, you're going to get rained on. I've heard it talk about sin. People say, you know, and I'll say this, not everybody suffers because you've sinned. Like if you're sick, not everybody's sick because they sinned. But everybody that lives continually in sin is going to be sick one day, is eventually going to suffer one day. And the Bible teaches, if, if, I, if I'm standing on the beach, I don't have to try to stay dry. And if I'm standing in the ocean, I don't have to try to get wet. I'm going to be wet just by where I'm standing. And that's what the Bible talks about. You know, it's just simply placing yourself. If you will trust in the Lord, if you will make him your refuge, if you will make him your shelter, here's the umbrella. You have to stand underneath it. How do you do that? You take the word and you stand on it in faith. So it says this. Let's keep reading here. Verse 9. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair and you will find the right way to go. So 7 through 8, it says, He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just. He protects those who are faithful to Him. Verse 9, Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. Number 3, the benefits. Number 3, divine guidance. Can you all say divine guidance? I'm going to go back to Romans 12, 2 real quick. It says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Then, can y'all say then? Not before. Not before, then. Don't, so first step, don't stop copying the world. Separate yourself from the world, like Romans chapter 6 talks about. When you got saved, you were buried with Christ. Your old self was dead, is gone. That's not who you identify with anymore. That's not what you do anymore. That's not the person you are anymore. You have separated yourself from the world. That means you don't live on this system anymore. You don't think like a slave anymore. You don't live like a slave anymore. A slave to money, a slave to sin, a slave to sickness, a slave to the devil. You don't live like that anymore. It says stop following the patterns and the customs of this world. Let God transform you into a new person. We said that's seeing the world how God sees the world. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It's just as simple as this. When you... 
So many of the things that are holding you back from receiving direction from God is the, worry, the worries and the stresses that you're holding on to. You're like, why am I, I feel like I'm not getting where God wants me to go. I'm not getting it. Well, are you holding on to something that maybe has got your attention and God's saying, I can't, I can't show you this piece because you're not thinking right right now. If I showed you what I'm trying to show you, you wouldn't get it because you're still seeing things like other people see things. And to get what I want to show you, you've got to start seeing things like I see things. I want to show you what your destiny is, but I can't show it to you because you still think like a slave. And a slave wouldn't get what I'm about to say. Only a son would get what I'm about to say. First, you separate yourself, and it says then you will learn what God's will is for you, which is pleasing, which is perfect. Divine guidance. I want to tell you too, you know, so many people, they're struggling with direction from the Lord. And I, the first thing that I'll say, the first thing you need to do, get sin out of your life. Get it out of your life. God made a system, and the Bible says as long as you're still battling with sin and, and in that system, you're going to be like a dog that's just chasing its tail in a circle. Why can't I go anywhere? Because you've got to let go of that thing. You've got to let go of that thing. You've got to be free. Drop it. Get it out of your life, and I promise you, start thirsting after the Lord. Get into the Word of God and allow Him to start transforming you. Get around the right people that'll help you, that'll put the Word in you, that'll put faith in you, that'll help impart wisdom from God into you, and it'll just start opening up. You'll start having dreams. You'll start having impressions. God will start putting people in front of you that now conversations... You're like, wow, all of a sudden now I'm talking about, I'm, I'm in a group of people that are standing around talking about how they're going to go and, and start these ministries and start all these things and something's really clicking with me. Well, why, was you, why weren't you ever able to receive that before? Because the friends that were running drugs didn't talk about those things. You had to be around the right people to hear the right thing for the Spirit to use it and speak to you. It's just simply removing yourself. Then God will start opening it up to you. Man, I'm telling you, you know, nobody that pursues, and this is what the Bible says, nobody that takes this word and gives everything for it, nobody is going to go without. Nobody, if, you, if you're wondering, what's my calling and my purpose on this earth? Nobody that takes this word and pursues after God in the way that we're talking about is going to get to the end of this life and miss their calling on this earth. Nobody. As we read in Proverbs 1, it actually says that wisdom is standing on the street corner shouting, come, listen to me, I'll make you wise. The New Testament says that God made Jesus to be wisdom itself for our benefit. Jesus is standing on the street corner screaming, come listen, I want to speak to people. I want to tell you things. I want to show you what your purpose is on this earth. God's not hard. It's not hard to hear from God. He's not like playing with a dog where he, he's like, oh, you know, you jump up and he moves the stake up a little more. God doesn't do that. He wants you to hear from him. He loves you. He loves us. Verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. After we get through these two, it just starts going fast. 
Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Number four, benefits, joy. Can y'all say joy? I'm going to tell you guys, and you've probably known this if you've been in this room and you've lived any kind of life. Sin may be fun for one about this long, but it will never bring you joy. No drug, it may feel good for about this long, but it'll never bring you joy. No drink will ever bring you joy. No man, no woman, no experience, no amount of money, no anything, no car, no house will ever bring you joy. The Bible says wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. God will bring you to a point when you start living the life that he wants you to live, it will fill you. How is Paul, you know, it says that Paul... I don't want to get this wrong. Was it Barnabas or Timothy that when they were in jail, they started singing? Silas. Paul and Silas. They were in prison, right? Paul didn't know that he was going to be put up in the Hamptons eventually. That night, he was just in prison. He didn't know how long. He didn't know anything. He knew what God told him, and he said, well, I'm not there, so that means that something's going to have to break. So it says that they just began to sing hymns they started singing praises and it's like the shackles fell off and the lord opened up the door and i mean god released them the same thing happened why were they able to do that because they had joy y'all know there's a there's a difference between joy and there's a difference between happiness you're like i may not feel happy but you cannot feel happy because you know the bible doesn't say anger is a sin that says be angry but sin not being angry is not a sin, but you being angry can cause you to sin. How can you be angry and be happy at the same time? You can't, but yet you can be angry and you can have the joy of the Lord still. Joy and happiness are two different things. Joy and happiness says, man, it's raining. My hands are up. I'm just full of life. I'm full of, of peace. I'm full of joy. Why? Because I know the plans that he has for me, says the Lord. Plans to prosper me. Plans to bless me, plans to give me hope in a future. Jesus promised me he would give me life and life. Of, I mean, it's joy that fills you, joy that goes beyond understanding. Verse number five, and this is something I put in there. It's not straight from Proverbs. Holiness will separate you for a special work. 2 Timothy 2.20. Holiness will separate you. So we talked about what are the benefits of, of walking in the fear of the Lord? What is the fear of the Lord? It says those that fear the Lord hate evil. So what are the benefits for somebody that makes that distinguish, saying, no, look, I'm separating myself. I am not associating with the devil. I'm not playing his games. I'm not doing what he wants me to do. I hate those things, and I'm going to live a righteous and holy life set apart for God. Number five, what will it produce? Holiness will separate you for a special work. 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. It says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver, and some are made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions, and the cheap ones are, are for everyday use. Verse 21, it says, if you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates your youthful, your youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. 
Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use for every good work. A lot of people think that God just picks and chooses people. You get to determine how you're used in this life. I want you to hear this. A lot of what you get to experience in this life does not depend on God. It depends on you. Why is that? Because Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for people that will take it and run with it and reach millions of people. And Jesus died for people that will reject him and unfortunately go to hell one day. The provision has been made for every single person on this earth. The Bible is saying what's going to separate you is the people that tap into that provision. Go into it like we're, like we're reading about. Pursue it like, like gold, like silver, with everything that they have. It says you will separate yourself, keep yourself pure, and God will use you for a special work. If you want to be special, again, separate yourself from this world and start thinking like God thinks. Verse 11 through 15, we're almost done here. We've got a couple more verses. It says, wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong, and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked, and their ways are wrong. I like how it says wise choices will watch over you. Do you guys know sometimes the things that we experience in life are just a product of bad choices? Can I give you all just a little nugget here? And I promise this is not rocket science. Bad choices produce bad things and good choices produce good things. Some people, you know, like just wonder what in the world is happening in my life. And yes, there is a devil. Sometimes there is things and, and, and I understand there's storms and you got to test the trials that you're going through. And you're like, no, I got to stand in faith. But sometimes we got to look back and say, is this a choice? Did I, you know, did I sow some bad seed? Cho bad choices will produce bad results and good choices will, will produce good results. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. You know, that's the ultimately what God says is, look, if you just come to the point where you realize you actually don't have a choice and you humble yourself and serve me in a way where you say, John stops making choices, then how about I just let this make my choices for me? I filter life. I filter marriage. I filter work. I filter kids. I filter every decision in life. Finances through this, and I let God make my choices. I don't have to pray for God's protection. I don't have to. Why? I'll be walking in it. I don't have to sit there and strive and pray for God's provision. If I did this for a year, if I did this for two years, I wouldn't be struggling. I would be walking in God's provision because I'd be eating from the fruit of the seeds that I sowed through my choices. Are y'all still with me? It says, and it's just this, evil people. Evil people. Wisdom, the wisdom of God will keep you from the wrong people in your life. I kind of touched on this when we started, but Matthew 13 talks about, it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Have y'all ever seen a tear before? I hadn't either, and I Googled it, and I was like, what is a tear? What is that? And it showed a picture of a piece of wheat, 
and it showed a picture of a tear side by side. They look really, really similar. If you read Matthew chapter 13, it talks about how there's this wheat field, and it says in the middle of the night, the enemy came and sowed tares into the field. What am I trying to say to you? That, that there's people, evil people, that Satan will put people in your life that they look like the real thing. That by all appearances, it's not going to be people that are worshiping the devil and, and you know trying to get you to come into a cult. It's something that looks super genuine. It may look right. It may, by, by the flesh, by physical appearance, it could lead you astray. But that's where the wisdom of God and the Holy Spirit gives you through discernment. This is a person that the enemy has sown into your life. What? Reject them, hate them, treat them bad? No, love them. Pray for your enemies. They're still a person that needs salvation. But through the wisdom of God, he'll help you see this is not somebody you share what I, put, what I shared with you. That thing that I put in your heart, do not open your mouth about it to them. Do not, you know, I'll tell you all a quick story. Just a couple weeks ago, after the revival, we had the news call us. The news called us and said, hey, can we come in? We want to film one of y'all Sunday morning services and put it on the news for everybody to see. In the flesh, you're like, wait, that would be great. All these people seeing our church, getting to be a part of it, you know, that would be great. But the Holy Spirit said, no, no, do not do that. Don't even respond to her is what I, because I was going to respond and say no. And the Holy Spirit said, don't even respond to the reporter. Why? If you say no, he said, then they'll, they'll think that, you know, there's something going on that you don't want them to see. Don't even respond. Just don't even reply to it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was showing me that that was actually something that in the flesh, if I was just thinking in the flesh, I would have jumped on it and thought, well, no publicity uh, is, you know, what's the, what's the saying? Any publicity is good. There's no such thing as bad publicity. Have you ever heard that? You know, in the flesh, you would think that, well, getting us out here, getting the word out there, getting people to see us, that's a good thing. But the Holy Spirit said no. All it would take is them getting one clip of somebody shaking somebody's hand in here, and it would, you know, it would be bad. And so the Lord just spoke to me, you know, and that's what I'm talking about, discernment, the wisdom. It will help you separate the wheat from the tares in life. The things that could look good, but they're not good. We're almost done. So it says this in 16 through 19. It says, wisdom will save you from the immoral woman, from the seductive words of the promiscuous woman. She has abandoned her husband and ignores the covenant she made before God. Entering into her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is doomed. He will never reach the paths of life. I'm going to give you all another insight. The second most important uh, decision that you'll ever make in your life is the person that you marry. The first most important decision that you'll make in life is following Jesus Christ. And I'll, I'll stand by this till the day I die. The second most important decision that you will ever make in your life is the person that you choose to marry. That person will make your ministry. That person could break your ministry. That person could be the greatest asset that you ever had, or that person could end up being the worst nightmare that you ever had. I'm just going to give you insight. If you're married, you're in covenant. I'm not, because people start getting changed, and they're like, well, my wife's crazy, my husband's crazy, we're going to divorce them. No, that's not what the Bible says to do. You're in covenant. 
But if you're not married and you're single, the, I'm telling you right now, something you need to hear me on, one of the, the most important decision that you will make besides putting your faith in Jesus Christ is the person that God brings to you to spend this life with. I'm going to tell you, the Bible actually says the man that finds a wife finds a good things and finds favor from the Lord. We're going to read that in future Proverbs. God wants you to find a wife. If it's a blessing, God wants you to have it. So let God bring it to you. God, Youth kids, God wants you to have a husband and a wife and to have that partner. But stop going after. Because, again, just how we talked about the wheat and the tares, the enemy will sow tares into your life. The enemy will sow things that look good, they feel good, they, all those things, but it's, it's literally meant to still kill and destroy your purpose, your calling, the word, your destiny, everything that God wants to give you. It is one of the most important decisions you will ever make on this earth. Let the Lord show you. I know when me and Carissa came together, I had a past, she had a past. We had, we had made the wrong decision too many times. And so when God brought us together, after about a week, I started I'd feeling, I started noticing how strong I felt about her. And I basically said, I ain't diving into this until I hear something from the Lord. So I basically pretended like she didn't exist for like a month and a half. <laughs> she will tell you, we were at Bible college and we would walk by each other and, and she would like look at me and I just like, I wouldn't even look at her. Like she didn't exist. I was like, why? Because I, I was like, Lord, I'm not doing that. If this is who you want me to have, you are going to have to show me because I have made the wrong decision too many times. And I'm not doing it. I told God the next person that I date is going to be the woman that I marry. So I said, no, I'm not doing it. And then the Lord out of nowhere started giving us prophetic visions separately. Crazy confirmations I'll have to tell you all about. People having prophetic dreams about us in our ministry. Started having dreams in the night. Started having my pastor from Lovington call me, who I hadn't talked to in two years, saying, hey, the Lord told me to call you. The girl that you're dating, you're not supposed to leave college without her. I mean, crazy stuff that God just started making it clear, this is the person you're supposed to be with. So I can tell you, from the time that we started dating to the time that we were married was 11 months. Why? Because we spent time in the beginning seeking the Lord's will. And I'm telling you, when God tells you to go, you don't wait. You go. Fast obedience. Let's move on to this. Here's a little bit of in, uh, insight, and we're about done here. About five more minutes. Are y'all okay still for five minutes? It says that the woman, so this woman, it's, it's warning this man, don't give in to that relationship. Don't give in to that temptation. Don't accept adultery. Don't engage in adultery. Don't engage in sexual immorality. Stay away from it because it says, for the man, entering into her house leads to death. It is the road to the grave. The man who visits her is doomed, and he will never reach the paths of life. Can I tell you, not only the man, but the man, the person, the country, the state that starts embracing this way of thinking, this way of living, this way of being, can never walk on the path of life while embracing that. If y'all want to look at statistics, 
You know, if you, if you look, I looked at today, statistics from the 1800s to current statistics, divorce has just climbed and climbed and climbed and climbed. And in the 1960s and 70s, it peaked. There was five divorces for every 1,000 people married. Five divorces for every 1,000. Now you read the statistics and you're like, wow, it says the divorce rate's going down. It's not actually going down. We just live in a country where now it's okay to not be married and to just shack up with each other. And so, you know, we have a culture where it's just, let's just live together and, and act like we're married, but not really be married. And so the divorce rate seemingly goes down, but it's not. I mean, people aren't even getting married in order to get divorced. So you can't have the divorce rate. Are y'all still following me? And here's a warning in the book of Proverbs. Any country that embraces that, any culture that makes that normal, any culture that says, hey, you guys can live how you want, you can do what you want, we're going to create laws, we're going to create standards, we're going to create norms that embrace sexual immorality, adultery, homosexuality, all of these things can never walk on the path of life. Why? Because you can't. The Bible says you cannot be a friend of this world and a friend of God. You can't. You can't hold on to, to both things. You, you have to hold on to one or the other. This is the last thing, verse 20 through 22. Follow the, the steps of the good and stay on the paths of the righteous. For only the godly will live in the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be removed from the land, and the treacherous will be uprooted. I just want to tell you guys, can you guys say, this Proverbs 20 through 22, it tells us how to get to the blessing and how to stay in the blessing. How to get into the blessing, you do everything that we're talking about. You step away from the world, you fear God, you step away from sin, you pursue his word, you per pursue his wisdom, you pursue the spirit, you pursue after all of those things. And Jesus said, if you're thirsty, you will be filled. If you seek me, you will find me. But I want to give you one last warning before I pray for you. You can't. This is where a lot of people go wrong. They'll take all the right steps to get to the right place. And then when they get there, they take it easy. They'll work so hard. I've seen people lose everything and work so hard to get their life back, to get in the blessing of God, to just start seeing fruit over time in their life. And when they get there, and now bills are good, life's okay, we just start taking it easy. But I'm going to give you one last warning. You can't just get into the blessing. You have to stay in the blessing of God. Deuteronomy 8, 10 through 11. This is just a principle we can take. It says, when you have eaten your fill, right? So he's telling his people, when you get to the promised land and you're in the land flowing with milk and honey and you're prospering, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God in the good land he's given you. But that is the time to be careful. So when you get into the blessing, that's not the time to take it easy. That's the time the Bible actually says you need to be more careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not get, forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. I can tell y'all, I've seen pastor after pastor. They build their church up to 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. They become a mega church, and they think, okay, we've made it. Now is the time to take it easy, and several times. What do you see? A minister falling off into sexual immorality, having an affair. 
Why? Because the Bible says when you get to that point, that's not the, the, the time to take it easy. That's the time that you say, now that God has given me more, I know that there's a bigger target on my back from the enemy. If the Lord's given me a million dollars, I can do a lot more with a million dollars than I could do with $5,000. So automatically, the enemy is going to be targeting me. Now I'm not just little Joe anymore. I'm somebody that God could really be using. There's going to be a target on your back. He's going to be making efforts to sow things into your life. And that is the time to not get complacent, but to be like David, where you say, Lord, I'm going to stay thirsty. I'm going to stay hungry. I'm going to stay rooted in your word because without this, I don't have success. Without this, none of this works anymore. Amen. I want to pray over y'all. If you'll just bow your head. I'm going to pray over you online if you're still with us. I thank you guys so much for, for joining in and, and being a part of this. I know the Lord is going to bless your life so much and produce so much fruit from his word. Father, I thank you for every person. I thank you, Lord. It is something special when somebody will show up to church on another night, than, uh, on a different day than Sunday morning. These are people that have taken a step past just being Sunday morning Christians, and they are hungry, Lord. They are pursuing after your word. They are pursuing after wisdom of God. They are pursuing after the things of the kingdom, and they will be filled. They will be blessed. They will receive knowledge from God. They will receive anointing from God. The Holy Spirit is going to bless their lives so immensely, Father. Thank you for every person in this room. That they're thirsty. They are th that's why they're here, because they are thirsty and they care about you and the things of God. Use them, Lord. Use them. I just speak right now for opportunity, for doors, for leading, for guiding, for direction. Lord, let them have dreams. Let them have vision. Let them start seeing the world like you see it, not like a slave, not like a servant, but like a son and like a daughter that's seated in Christ above every spiritual principality and power. In Jesus' name, Father. In Jesus' name, I release this word and this blessing according to your word in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, guys. I love you. You made it through. God bless you guys.